0: If you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toe Ear Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeearguitars.us, that's t-o-i-r-g-u-i-t-a-r-s.us, and contact Ed today. we recording podcast episode 151. What's going on, Neil? What's up, buddy? How you doing tonight? Another great night, man. Oh, yeah. Another great guest. Mm -hmm. We've got Collins Black with us tonight. Welcome, Collins. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming. Good to have you here. And Neil, you brought us a little bottle here.
1: And yes, sponsor of uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Barner hooked it up tonight, man. He got that as a Christmas gift and he said, Man, I'm never gonna drink this. Do you right. want it? And I said, Yep. Yeah,
0: we'll take care of that for you.
1: We'll drink it on the podcast, man. Yeah. So thank you, Jimmy.
0: I'm My gonna pull a little of this maker's mark cask strength.
1: We're not being selfish, but you know,
0: 110. Collins proof is
1: not partaking tonight.
0: Yeah. They can join <laughs> us in they can join us in uh Toast with water. Cheers. Go. Hey, cheers. cheers. Brent, did you get some? <laughs> I'll cheers, I'll cheers. So, Collins, why don't you take us back to childhood and share with us your early memories of music. And if there's any uh, point in time where it
2: stands out to you
0: that you realized music was going to be a huge part of your life.
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Trimble County in Bedford. And um, I kind of always knew music was going to be a part of my life because both of my grandpas on... Both sides, my mom and dad's dads were both musicians. They were both singers and guitarists and had bands. And so my family was always involved in music. And my mom, she sings and her and my grandpa, had um, always sang for, like, funerals, and he was a preacher, um, a missionary, and she grew up on the Indian Reservation in South Dakota. They had a church and stuff, so my mom— That's interesting. Yeah, so my mom, she had a really interesting childhood, and she was always helping lead music, and if there was a funeral or any kind of special occasion, her and my grandpa would go and and provide the music. And then when my sister came along, um, she was one of those kids that— started singing like at one and a half years old, like they put, like she could, couldn't even hardly walk and was like, they could prop her up and she could sing full songs and was like kind of a prodigy in that way. One of those kids. Yeah, (laughs) that really blew people away. And she would go and watch my dad's dad's band play and she learned the songs by the time she was like three years old, could like get up on stage and sing full songs and they would have her come up. And so... They kind of incorporated her into their musical little act. And then when I came along, I showed signs that I could sing too. And so the four of us would do weddings and sing for church all the time, funerals, different things like that. So some of my earliest memories are being like a five-year-old singing with my sister and my mom and my grandpa <laughs> That's wild. and doing, you know, my sister taught me harmony and stuff like that. And uh, you're we singing were- harmonies at five? not necessarily at 5 i was just singing along with my mom on the melody yeah. and my sister and grandpa would do the harmonies and then i would say probably by about 4th grade i was she had taught me my sister has perfect pitch too That's so those
1: those people oh.
2: yeah so she i got really good training from her um as a kid because i don't think naturally i was as talented of a singer as her right away but she really instilled everything in me that she could as far <laughs> as training me early on. And so, um, and she was really honest with me too, very supportive. But if something wasn't right, she'd let me know, like, you know. She, she knew. That was I flat. mean, obviously, <laughs> but yeah. No, it wasn't, trust me. Yeah. She would tell you if you were singing through your nose or if it was sharp oh. or flat. And it was great training. And um, so, I grew up singing with them, but I wasn't, you know, like, my sister was a standout person in that lineup. And then my mom, she always sang the lead. And, uh, cause she doesn't sing harmony. So she always <laughs> sang the lead melody. And, um. You know what? Even, what a great
1: excuse. Even if you can sing harmony secretly. You're like, yeah, here, like, those I don't do harmony. Yeah, uh-uh.
0: <laughs> you're way, you're way better, better at harmonizing than I am. <laughs> yeah,
2: right? <laughs> so I never like stood out in that capacity. And, and then when I got into school, Um, I think it was first grade, I remember singing for the music teacher at school. She was going around the room and asking different. We were learning a song, and she asked if any of us liked to sing, and I raised my hand. And I was kind of a shy, quiet kid, but music was always somewhere I felt really comfortable, and I could express myself. And um, I sang... Somewhere Over the rainbow, because I loved Wizard of Oz as a kid, and I'm gay, so uh, just, I don't know, it's so stereotypical (laughs) that I would have chosen that song, but I just, I remember being a kid and like watching Wizard of Oz, and and Dorothy, when she was singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the way she uh, emotes during that song and stuff, it just was so captivating to me, and so I uh, learned that song, and I sang it for her and I just remember the reaction of the entire room, all the other little kids and her. um, She got really quiet and they were doing a production that year, the fifth graders of Wizard of Oz. And so she took me out of the room and took me and made me sing for the fourth and fifth grade classes.
0: And you were a first grader.
2: And I was a first grader. And I remember just the awe of all these kids that day. I felt so special and so good. It was the first time I was like, there's something here. Like, Being a shy, quiet kid and not feeling, um, I never really felt very comfortable in my skin, I think, because I always knew I was different as a very little kid. And, um, but music was like a safe space for me to express myself in some way and to get attention in a positive way. And I just remember when I was singing for those kids, they were, you know, you want to be liked by the older kids when you're little, you know, and uh, I had older siblings and I was always tagging along. And so, when I got such positive feedback, and I I remember the girl that was playing Dorothy, I'll never forget. She was like glaring at me, <laughs> like, what the fuck? This mm-hmm. first grader is in here, you know? So, um,
1: I got a question. So, number one, were you the youngest of,
2: of my family? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm the youngest of three kids.
1: All right. So, you said uh, something I thought was interesting. And then it kind of leads me to something else interesting because um, you're talking about mom singing lead you know a sister singing harmony uh, and you never stood out in in that capacity um, did you feel because your sister's pitch perfect your grandfather played guitar mom sang did did you feel like in that space your talent was kind of buried because you were the youngest and the in the you were the kid
2: yeah cuz i was just point. singing along with mom yeah. you know i was just singing the melody And I I knew, like, I wanted to express myself more, but I always had, like, a huge respect for my sister. I mean, I idolized her. She's Mm -hmm. eight years older. And I think being a young Mm -hmm. gay kid, too, my sister was beautiful and fabulous and popular. And so I just, you know, thought the sun just rose and set in her. So I I really—and I wasn't, like, ever— competitive with her and there was enough age and space between us Mm -hmm. it was more of a mentor kind of relationship my Mm -hmm. whole life but um it wasn't until that moment at school when I got to stand out on my own and I realized
1: that you were already a seasoned pro that's the other thing I I was gonna say I didn't know that I was as good as I was being in that circle and being in the the dynamic that was, and you learning without knowing what that you were learning, that you were ahead of the game, and that you had all these, you know, pitch perfect sister. That's just it's fascinating because when you did get in 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 the age group where you were supposed to be, instead of around all these older not quite seasoned pros or, or yeah, well you, <laughs> First got, fifth you <laughs> got kicked up to the, you got kicked up to because you were already past because you were day already day. around it. So it's like advanced classes. It, it's it, that, that feel there's probably, it's probably a weird yin and yang of having the feeling of kind of being, um, a little suppressed. And then once you get where you aren't suppressed anymore, just kind of this blossom, this, this yeah. huge explosion of,
2: well, and I don't even, I don't even think I, I felt Suppressed. I didn't realize that I even was special in that way yeah. until they showed me like, oh, you're di- you're different than us. That this is kind of unusual. Um, and then I think after that I wanted more like, cause I was probably five, almost six years old. And I, um, (laughs) after that experience, my teacher, like if we had grandparents lunch or something like that, I remember her standing me on a chair in the cafeteria and making me sing for hundreds of, (laughs) of the grandparents and I was really fearless. It's funny at that age, like you have no fear or nerves or stage fright it's excited, to, you're excited to perform. But like, as I got older, like most people, I started to worry about what people thought <laughs> and, and be harder on myself. And as guys too, like middle school, puberty, your voice changes, you go through like an, a crisis of trying to find your voice and sound and not being comfortable with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, I once I started getting that individualized attention and actually uh, understanding that I could be a solo kind of mm-hmm. performer... Then I did probably at seven, eight years old, I really wanted to be, you know, a soloist. And I think that's why too, like I kind of absorbed every bit of like training my sister was trying to give me because Mm -hmm. I did respect her and her talent and I wanted to grow and I wanted to get better and I wanted to be able to be a soloist and carry parts and them trust me to do that stuff live. And they did. So it just, it was a natural progression though in that way.
1: Did your parents make grandparents' day most of the time?
2: Um, Let's see. My grandparents, they would like come. My grandma on my dad's side, she would come. And then, but my parents, I can't, honestly, I can't remember if they were there or not because Ah. my parents were the kind of people that were just working 24-7. They both, like my mom, she was a missionary's kid and she was raised in pretty much poverty. They'd given up everything to start this mission. Oh, yeah. And so my mom always really instilled a really strong work ethic in all of us and not to live beyond your means and to, um, you know, just be an incredibly hard worker. If you want something in life, you can achieve it, but you have to work really hard for it. And um, she made a success out of her life and, and has been a fabulous role model in that way. I mean, there were times in music school I would like call home every semester so discouraged because I relied on natural talent my whole life. I never had music theory. I didn't do band. We couldn't afford the instruments and stuff like that. So, um, I was now in an arena of just having to rely on natural talent against other musicians who had been playing and reading sheet music since middle school. Mm -hmm. And, I was having to do Theory 101 and take tutoring two and three days a week and I'd call home crying and she would just be like, okay, fine, quit. Give up. If that's who you are, just quit. I mean, she would do that to where you wouldn't want to quit. It'd make you mad. No, I won't. So, and then she'd kind of tell you, you know, because I could have done that. Yeah, I should have just given up. I should have just quit because she ended up being a CNO of Norton's Hospital and doing a lot with her life and always um, being an executive and um, she had a kid, at, my sister at 16, and I got her GED and you know, uh, went directly into nursing school and, and worked as a single mother for a uh-huh. couple of years before her and my dad got together. So she really was a great example of, if you want something, it doesn't matter how unattainable it might seem, and it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, if you do the work and you really fervently believe in yourself and you don't give up, you can get there. And I think that really is what inspired me to have like crazy dreams and the idea that music gave me a place to belong and feel comfortable in my own skin. All those things are what kind of crafted this obsession with trying to be a recording artist and um, work within the industry, even though I was a million miles away from that.
0: Mm. At what age did you start playing instruments and what, what did you start with?
2: Well, I took piano lessons as a little kid for a couple of years, but it was one of those things because I was musical. I wanted to play an instrument, but I didn't want to practice. I didn't want to do music there. I didn't want to go through the boring stuff. I just wanted somebody to teach me how to play like now I didn't want to have to do you wanted scales. Rock school, yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, that after a couple of years, I stopped doing it, and um that was like fourth to sixth grade, and the middle school band was an option, but the instruments I wanted to play, we couldn't afford. And so, because I wanted to do like saxophone no, or something. Yeah, saxophone. And, yeah. and so, <laughs> I was going to be a little Kenny G, I guess. And, <laughs> and, but we couldn't afford that. And, because um, like I said, we never went without, but my parents worked really hard and they had both come from a harder life to where they never lived outside of their means. Their <laughs> objective was to pay off what we had and they did that really, you know, pretty young in life, owned their homes, owned their vehicles, and were very, very smart and responsible about with their money, um but f- having three kids too and and starting really young in life, mm-hmm. they were young now, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, thinking about the the ages of their kids when they were my age now i'm like i don't I don't know how they did that, they made a lot of sacrifices, I see that now. And so things like band and instrument that's expensive, stuff like that. If I really had kept pushing, they would have come up with a way Mm -hmm. because there were certainly other opportunities ended up coming along that they financed that really we didn't have the money, um, but they came up with it so that I could have the opportunities. Um, But on that instance... I didn't keep pushing because we had middle school choir and stuff like that that I was already involved in that didn't cost anything. So Mm -hmm. I just, uh, yeah, I didn't push on that. And I, you know, never got involved with band. And I didn't start learning an instrument till, seriously, till I was about 16, 17 years old. I had a guitar, but it sat in my closet for a couple years. Um, I had fiddled around with it. And because it didn't come naturally, I couldn't just like play it immediately. <laughs> you know, it sat in a case in in the closet for a couple of years. And then I had a friend who had been playing for eight years, this girl from my hometown. And uh, she didn't really sing or write songs much, but she was a good guitar player. And we hung out a lot. And I brought my guitar over one day, she showed me a few basic chords. And for a couple of months, I would just go and, and, you know, she'd show me new chords. And then I would challenge myself to try to keep up. She'd tell me what You know, chord pattern she was going to play. And I would challenge myself to try to keep up with her. And little by little, I got quicker and quicker. And within six months, I was writing music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it stuck that time. So, And once I realized I can write songs, and they come really easy to me. um, And this is a new way of expressing myself in this phase of my life as an angsty teenager. I was, And I was really like in love with Silverchair <laughs> and like those kinds of like kind of post-grunge, like right after the big grunge movement. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, they had beautiful ambient vocals, but then still had hardcore like rock elements to their music. And I was kind of a, I was a closeted gay kid out in the country. And I wanted to be able to express myself a little bit more. And so once I got my guitar in my hands at that point and it kind of started coming naturally, the songs were just coming out of me. So being a songwriter, um, that really came more natural than guitar playing Mm because I've always been more of a rhythm person. Um,
0: What happened with those songs at that point?
2: Well, uh, I started actually after about seven months of writing music and playing I started performing them for my classmates and stuff because I was part of the, the spree program. It's like the talented, gifted program in, in school. And a lot of times it's for like academics, but we had, uh, there were like four of us in our school in it for singing. Mm-hmm. And um, I was one of those people and we did a concert every year and to showcase, you know, that we could sing. Basically, like why we got to cut class, you know, a couple of times a month to go get together and do this stuff Would they let us put together a concert. And um, everybody was doing pieces by other artists and I did an original song. And the reaction I got from that was so positive that it would kind of solidified like, okay, there could be something here. And for the next couple of years, I just wrote constantly. I probably wrote, 50 to 100 songs. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just... And they weren't very good, I don't think. I mean, maybe one or two had some merit. But um, when I was 19, I went to Madison, Indiana, which was right across the river from where I'm from. And um, there Hanover? was... Hanover? Uh, yeah, like in the Hanover area. Yeah. And uh, in downtown Madison, though, there was this little tiny recording studio. And this I went in there one day with my guitar, and I talked to the guy, and... Or, I think fifty dollars, which for me at that time, you know, in the early 2000s and being you know it was like two thousand five, I think, and I you know, had just like a little part- time crappy job. that was a lot of money. <laughs> but mm-hmm. i uh I just recorded uh, I think two or three songs on a demo, and I did it all like in an hour or something real mm-hmm. quick. But it was good, you know. I was so excited. I did a good job on them, and I sent them off to Nashville, and that's when I got my first like record deal and stuff with Abbey Road in Nashville.
1: Oh, oh wow! wow. Okay. Yeah,
2: just off the that little fifty dollar demo. Best
1: fifty dollar investment yeah. ever.
2: Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So you, yeah, I I sent that off. I didn't. I don't know. I was really like, I was like, I'm gonna get signed. My whole all my dreams are gonna come true. I really fervently believed. My whole life, since I was five years old, that I was going to work within the entertainment industry. And I think because I was closeted and I never could really be myself with anybody, even my family, I created this. Was this still
0: the case at 19?
2: Yeah. I didn't come out to my family until I was like 24. 24? wow. Yeah, because it was, a you know, a different. That was tough. Yeah, it was a you know a different time than it is now. I mean, yeah. you can be like twelve and say you're you know <coughs> yeah. a, a furry, and people uh, okay. are like, okay, cool, <laughs> and that's that's great that yeah. you know kids can um, express themselves and have a little more freedom. And, and I think
1: Jackson was thirteen when he came. I think yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, thirteen. So yeah, they they definitely do it. It's, yeah, it's it's a different world, and yeah, it's, super...
2: and it's it's great to be able to. Say who you are to your family and your peers when you're discovering it. Like all my peers going through puberty and middle school and stuff and liking other people and discovering who they were, they could express that. They could be themselves and feel comfortable in their skin, but I couldn't. And I had to play a character a different part, which in some ways is good for an artist because it, I'm, I'm, I'm used to having to play a character. I or, was
1: actually going to um, ask you about kind of that uh before you go into the, uh, the the getting signed off those songs but what what did those songs the songs before um what did that sound like did it, what, was it playing did you have to change wording to
2: yeah
1: a different yeah, narrative because,
2: and yeah yeah i had to
1: were you always cognizant of that was that something that you that you had that you knew you had to do
2: yeah uh, i wanted to get as close to the feeling that That was real to me, but I knew I had to like change certain words or, you know, I I was always very aware of that. I didn't want somebody to be able to read too deeply into what I was. Did you um, have
0: anybody at your point
2: in that life that knew you? um, The girl that I played guitar with. Yeah. And she ended up coming out as a lesbian. And I, but I, and I always kind of knew with her, like I told her I was gay, but she didn't come out to me and tell me she was a lesbian, but I could just tell she was a lesbian. And, um, so there was that person in my, I have another best friend and we're still very close to this day. She's the first person I came out to her name's Catherine. And, um, she's got very, she's like that friend that's got like a motherly energy. She's very nurturing. And so she was always a safe place for me to go to. And, and actually I would bounce a lot of my songs off of her. I would sing them for her first and get, Her opinion, her music taste is very like indie rock and she's very cool when it comes to music. So I knew she would be honest with me and that she also had kind of um, a cultured ear when it came to music and stuff. So she'd give me good feedback. But um, I was definitely very aware of the songs I was writing and and the content and stuff. And um, when I sent those songs, I can't even remember exactly what was on the demo that I sent to Nashville.
0: So when you sent those out, what did that, I mean, how how did you go about doing that? Were you intentional to send them to certain people or was it more like I, shotgun spray it was to everybody? The
2: only, no, it was the only place I sent it and I found <laughs> it on the internet. <laughs> I just Googled Nashville Recording Studios and just did a like a little research one day and wrote down some information and I came across Abbey Road Studios. It was right there on Music Row and um, it was like a division of you know i guess they have different divisions or branches or something and this was their nashville studio and i just that was the only place i sent the demo and i get a i can't remember the lady's name her name was angie something she ended up i didn't think it was legit i mean i i thought i would hear back from them but i really you know you don't know mm-hmm. and cuz i did just kind of take a shot in the dark and she ended up contacting me and saying that she wanted to meet with me and so me and my parents after a little bit of Talking because they'd already done the modeling school, the this, that, you know, where they put you in the cattle call thing, we'll put you in front of agents and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You yeah. hear it on the radio that are like scam type things. My parents had already put me through that and spent money and come up, like I told you, if I wanted to do something really bad, they would figure it out. They'd come up with the money. And so they'd already been through those experiences with me. So I had to really impress upon them, like, I think this is legit. Like, they really do want to see me. They're interested in like doing a contract with me and like, you know, they're not asking for a ton of money. They, you know, they were going to talk some numbers and some things and they did. I did end up paying a little bit of money, but it was like more so just in expenses getting down there and staying. And um, I had the Lister brothers who, Bill Lister, I believe, and his brother who had worked for some pretty big names Mm -hmm. um, down there on Music Row. They're the ones who produced it and engineered it. And they brought in an entire... Um, band of studio musicians so the the demo is fantastic it's five songs and it is fantastic the music quality Um, I'm playing rhythm guitar on it but they even had another guy who came in and like really made that sound better too and um, I just was they just wanted me to really focus on singing Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, what
1: did those songs sound like
2: that's the thing because I didn't have a real clear, confident direction of who I was and what my music was at that time. I went in there with like more poppy sounding songs. And then these guys who are a little bit older, they after they did their treatment to them, the songs came out sounding like the Eagles.
1: Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I they you sound, were say country, yeah. No, no. And they sounded
2: really cool. Like really? they sound really good. But in the moment, I remember thinking in comparison to everything that I was listening to or interested in. I was like, this really isn't me, and I don't think there's a market for this. And even if there was, because it did sound kind of dated. It sounded like the 70s, and uh-huh. I mean, it sounded cool, but I w- it didn't align with what was being played on popular radio or what uh-huh. I was listening to. And also, too, I thought, even if there was a space for this right now, I don't think I could be the character that people would buy Mm. is pulling this type of music off, you know what I mean? And so it was interesting. I worked with them for a year and we tried to get something going with it, but it never really panned out to anything more than that. And so th- that was really disheartening Um, because I thought, you know, when you're young and, and you've got, I mean, I was really shocked by the fact that this wasn't a scam and that there was like, we really were on music Row, And now all these musicians are coming in the room and they're all like incredibly talented. And, um, the way they spoke to me, I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed, um, at the seriousness of what I was in, but I was like thinking, Oh, this, this was legit. This is the big time I'm going to make it, you know? And so I sang my ass off and they, the demos came out good. They just weren't, just wasn't aligned with me. I wasn't the right artist. It wasn't the right treatment to the music. And they tried to get things going with it. But after that didn't pan out, I realized, too, I don't know anything about what I'm trying to do here. I don't know anything about the music industry. I don't know anything about the business side of things because I was so overwhelmed and I was so, I mean, obviously just so green right away. It's one of those things, you know, when you're 18, 19, you think you know everything. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in a situation where you're around legitimate professionals and adults, you feel like a toddler. Like, I felt like <laughs> I don't know anything that's going on. I was so overwhelmed that… um I thought you know I still want to pursue this, but i I'm so green, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to go back to school, and that was around the time when music programs started to incorporate like music industry mm-hmm. as a um legitimate you know degree that you could get that was what am I trying to say where the where it's validated through the university it's yeah. accredited yeah and oh, so the I had started looking around at different schools that I could pursue some kind of music degree. And at first I went to NKU and I tried music theater and quickly realized I hate music theater. I hate musicals. I don't know why I decided that that was, I guess because I was going through an identity crisis of like, I need to be around gay people. Or something. <laughs> because up to that point, I hadn't been around really any gay people. And I was like, you know, this is what all gay people do. We do musical theater. <laughs> so I went there and very quickly was like, oh my gosh, like I am as big of an outcast here as, you know, I was in the country because I felt, and I really wasn't even an outcast in the country. I was always pretty popular as class president, but I was kind of quiet. You know, I was just nice to everybody. Mm-hmm. But in the music theater department, I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, they're singing through the hallways and, like, everything is a... They're living a musical. And that was so <laughs> off-putting to me. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was kind of annoying. And um, they were, like... They treated me like I was an alien because I didn't know all the musical score to Cats. And uh. I didn't know... You know, like Wicked was really big at the time. I'd never seen it. I'd never heard any. I'd heard of it, but I hadn't heard really any of the music. You didn't make it to Trimble County. Oh, yeah, man. no. So <laughs> I, you How know, you? and I kind of got scoffed at, you know, and mocked that I didn't, I didn't know. But I ended up making the freshman show and having a big solo because they had like a rock number in it. It was Lenny Kravitz when he did um, the Gap commercials that um, American Hero.
1: Yeah. American Woman.
2: American Woman and all that. All right. uh, never knew there was such a lady who could make me want to… You know that song? I forget what it is. Mm. Yeah, Lady. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, They had me like sing that and I did gymnastics my whole life and I cheered through college. Um, so, I tumbled in the freshman show and I kind of like stole the show at that point. And I don't know. I just… I kind of rubbed people the wrong way because I'm getting parts in their program, but I also am ignorant to what they have dedicated their life to. So Uh, they're like, who is this guy? That makes sense. Yeah. So after a year, um, I ended up transferring to EKU because I got in my first serious relationship and that's where he went to school. And um, they had an awesome music program too. So that was the other draw. Um, and it was more of a music based pro- it wasn't for theater, and okay. I knew I'd kind of got that out of my system like I'm not comfortable in that capacity <laughs> and um so I went down there for they have the foster you know music uh school, and so I went down there to at first, I was still like kind of trying to experiment with music and broaden my horizons. And I thought, well, I've always been a rhythm guy. And I really, that experience in Nashville showed me like, I want to be a better guitarist. And, and so maybe I'll be a guitar major. <laughs> <laughs> I never <laughs> did band. I didn't read sheet music. So the very first day that I go in for our, our studio, I mean, all those guys, they've grown out their nail. You know, they have the long nails and I mean, oh, they yeah. are just virtuosic at their yeah. instruments and um. oops <laughs> yeah I quickly realized I was like I'm an idiot Um. When, why am I running from just what I do I don't do musical theater I'm not a guitar major like I'm just a singer and so I switched over to the vocal program and I realized too that was going to be a challenge within itself because it's all classical type music and there's a different you know structure I've always just had natural talent and relied on you know, my sister's kind of training and stuff and and just real basic choir experience. And there it was so structured. And I had a a professor, Dr. Hensley, who... He was nice, but I don't think he liked me much. (laughs) And his thing was, you have a lot more talent, but you're not serious about being an opera singer. You just want to get better as a singer, but you don't really want to be an opera singer. And he was an opera singer, so... It was one of those things. You, you offended him. Kind of, I guess. <laughs> and he also didn't like that I was a cheerleader because he was like, you yell all the time and that's horrible for your voice and you talk like a Kardashian. It was a <laughs> vocal, <laughs> vocal fry. He was always, he was like, you're ruining your voice because of the way you talk. And I still kind of do that. But I, I do try to remind myself, you know, don't, you know, support your, I did learn some things from him. So uh-huh. um, actually gained a lot of Uh, skills from being in the program and uh, I wasn't the best in the program. I was number two. There was a guy named Casey who was fantastic. And that was my first taste of like in a school setting, not being the best Uh as the guy, you know, there were other growing up. There were girls that were really talented, but I never really compared my, I mean, that's a girl, you know, and, but I was always kind of the best guy singer and never really had any competition being from such a small place, but in, in college that was humbling too. To be learning a different type of singing and to know that you know you're not number one always, and mm. and that's okay. You, could, you just need to focus on yourself and you need to develop yourself in the best way that you can. So,
0: I had to chuckle when you said vocal fry because one of the worst things that ever happened to me. I listened to this American Life. It was talking about the epidemic of vocal fry. Uh, and I never even heard Vocal Fry before, uh, and now I can't. Oh I can't unhear it every time I'm watching the news or anything. I'm like, why are you talking like that? Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's like our generation so very lazy, unsupported <laughs> way of, of talking. I think mine too was I growing up gay in such a small town, and I'm from. My brother and dad are very like masculine men, and very like scary (laughs) like the kind of guys like you know you don't mess with them and so I always was trying to drop my voice lower my voice you know a lot and I think that's why I got to doing that I think it became a habit of trying to you know not sound as effeminate or whatever Mm -hmm. and so it's it's just something that kind of became a bad habit and I still to this day have to remind myself like you know, talk a little more supported because you're you're grading constantly on your vocal cords.
0: Let's take a break and listen to a tune. All right, let's do it. What do you want to hear first, Collins? What do you want to play for us? Hollywood tragedy or the morning after?
2: Uh, let's do the morning after. This is from uh, when I was starting right after, at the towards the end of music school, starting to produce my own um, tracks. And I didn't do the production on this one. I recorded myself, though, and I mixed it and and did all that. Someone else built this track and sent it to me. but this was when I was in pursuit of a second deal and and right before the Bloodland Dance Floor stuff.
0: You were you were going by something other than Collins Black yeah. on this, right?
2: Yeah, I was going by my real name, and it's Sean Brandon. It's my first and middle name. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we'll get into why I changed all that. but <laughs>
0: Okay, let's check it out the morning after.
2: You're-
0: So did you say you recorded that at EKU?
2: Uh, I recorded that, yeah, when I was down at EKU. I had a friend that I cheered with uh, named Amanda Baumgartner, and she had a, a MacBook. I didn't have a MacBook, but one day I was at a party. I used to be a big party boy, and <laughs> we just happened to be, I think we were smoking in her room. And <laughs> I looked down, and I saw she had a MacBook, and I said, does that have GarageBand on it? And she was like, "Yeah, it does." And I had taken all the production classes through the industry program. My, um, I was—I got a degree, a bachelor's in music industry with a concentration in voice because you had to have an instrument, and that was mine. That was my concentration. So um, I had taken all these production classes. I'd worked with Reason, Audacity. Um, they bear, they touched on um, GarageBand and stuff, but they kind of like turned their nose up at that. Like that's. <laughs> And it is, it's so simple and easy, but I knew that I'm not a tech person. I'm not, uh, like there are things on my phone to this day. I'm like, yeah, it has that capability, but I don't know how to do it. Like I'm, I'm on Snapchat, but like, I don't really know how to do it (laughs) or not Snapchat. Um, TikTok. (laughs) I see people like syncing to music and doing dances and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how that works. I, I looked up videos and I'm like, this is too much for me, but, um, So I've never been a tech savvy person, but I knew from the experience I'd have with some of the programs that I could take that GarageBand and I can do some stuff. I can experiment. And so there was a boy at the time who was following me online and he was producing and he had been saying, I'd love for you to sing because I used to record videos all the time of me singing and playing guitar. And he was always trying to get me to sing on one of his tracks. And so I told him, I was like, hey, send me a track. And I'll see what I can do. And that's just what I did without a microphone, just singing directly into the laptop. What? <laughs> yeah. And then that's my first, like, feeble attempts at trying to mix vocals and harmonies and layer stuff. And that's why it's not as present in the core, you know, in parts. Like, in the chorus, the, the vocals kind of buried and stuff. But that was just my first attempts. And I thought… Wow. It sounds good, though. To me, it sounds pretty decent. Even when I listen back to it, of course, you know, I... Especially
0: considering what you just told us about it. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I literally
2: was sitting on a couch with the laptop on the little, like, arm of the couch, and I was just singing (laughs) into it. And so, um, you know, that was just where it all kind of started. And so, from that, though, those demos, um, because I did maybe five or six... She let me borrow that because she had two laptops and she said, yeah, you can borrow that for a little while. And she let me have it for a couple of months. Hmm. And I ended up doing like five or six songs like that. But the rest of them, I started producing the beats and stuff just off of what wow. was on GarageBand. And um, those were good enough. They got me signed with this little indie label called Wire and Wood Entertainment that was regional and... So that's where the next little chapter of my pursuit
0: began. <laughs> P- Let's yeah. hear about that.
2: Well, at that time too, I was also graduating from college and I wanted to get into the acting realm, music, whatever. I, I just wanted to work in the industry, but I've always wanted, obviously, to be a singer more than anything. But I felt like any way I could get my foot in the door, I should. And I'd had people in the past like, you tell me I should do modeling and things like that. and Um, I ended up doing some shots for um, nightclubs here in Louisville. And I was actually on posters in like the gay clubs, like on big two foot posters for Bud Light and stuff with my shirt off. And so I had a a moment where I was like doing promotional. I you looked familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I had a moment of like promotional modeling just regionally (laughs) and getting to see myself in that capacity. And so… I thought maybe I could do something with that. And so I got an agent out of Cincinnati named Jake Lang. And um, he was with Wings Model Management up there. And they represent actors and singers. And he actually had some people who had been on like Weeds. And um, he had this girl named Allie Grant who I ended up meeting. And she was has been on Weeds. She's been on um, tons of different shows. Like I still see her in bit parts every once in a while come up. And so... Um, after I signed with him, he started, he did like some headshots of me and stuff. And that got me, I used those headshots to in the demos that I was making at that time to sign with wire and wood. They liked my look. They liked my sound. They had been helping other bands with like touring and stuff like that. That were like kind of, I guess, bigger bands. I think they worked with maybe fuel and, A couple of different like rock bands is like part of something with touring and stuff, but they were getting into trying to sign their own artist and, you know, broaden their horizons with production and stuff like that. So they ended up signing me and um, simultaneously while I was doing that, I was working with Jake Lang and I flew to Dallas and uh, last minute did one of those convention things where they put you in front of a bunch of people for acting and singing and modeling. And, um, I found out a week before the thing that I was even going. So I had to learn a monologue and all this stuff. And I ended up out of all the people that were there, I got like first runner up and monologue and like second runner up as a adult vocalist. And so I came back and they were kind of encouraged with what I was doing. And they knew I was working on music as well on the side. And, um, I ended up getting submitted for, a TV show opportunity with like ABC family or something. And it was music based and I kept having to make tapes because they liked me. Mm -hmm. And so, but I ended up not getting it. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of this amazing headshot that Jake Lang took of me and because of the opportunity where I got close, um, I got in this publication and it was, it said, is this Kentucky in the next face of fame? And that, um, it was in a gay publication that ran like in the tri-state area. And it's kind of like the Leo, but mm-hmm. it was at, for free at gay clubs at the front. And um, it from that, I mean, that article kind of changed my life because simultaneously I had this little indie deal going and I released two singles with them. And my ex, who was one of the singers of Blood on the Dance Floor, he ends up seeing that article and that picture. And that's how he discovered me. And that's like the next chapter of my life where things really took off. So everything, even if it didn't work out in the moment, because I was pursuing it and giving it everything I had, somehow it opened another door that I didn't even expect to open. And that really like blew things up to a different, uh, a different in a different way. That indie deal that I had. Like I said, I was supposed to do five songs with them. That's what the contract was, but I was able to terminate the contract early because me and the producer hated each other. (laughs) We just did not like each other. Um, His name was Dave. I can't remember his last name and I probably shouldn't say it anyway. So (laughs) that's good. But, um, and I'm not, you know, not that he wasn't a nice person, but he had a very clear vision of what he wanted my music to be. And I wasn't allowed to give feedback or input on my own project. And so I was quiet about that for a while. I was kind of that way through a lot of my younger life. i never spoke up for myself too much. And um, I'm a Scorpio too. So I can take a lot until I can't take a lot. And then it's like, watch out. And me and him, it got very contentious. Going to the studio with him was a nightmare. Like I dreaded it. And, uh, he just talked to me like I was really stupid. And I started to realize he started to bring up a lot of his religious views in our sessions. And I realized he doesn't like that. I'm gay. He doesn't like, he just hates me as a person. Like, and he was really trying to change from the musical content and the, not just the stylistic direction, but like the content itself. And so they ended up allowing me to, you know, terminate the contract after the two singles, but that was basically too because he was like, "I don't want to work with him. We don't like each other. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to do it my way." And I just knew inside. I trust myself. I know that doing it your way. He had been a failed singer who stopped pursuing it and got married and had kids and. And was living a different life. And I almost felt like he was mad at me for having the freedom or something to pursue it. And if I didn't want to do it his way, then I was an idiot. And I just knew inside, like, I know I've got something that I want to say and I have a clear vision for it and that things are going to work out. So it was really stressful to be like, okay, I'm, you know, in my 20s and I've already had two failed attempts at this, you know, uh... I've got a music degree, but where do I go now with it? Like this TV show thing didn't work out. I don't know what's happening with that. Um, so I was kind of pandering from pandering, floundering, <coughs> something I don't know. But yeah, I was having a moment. I was having like a existential crisis, and um, that. But everything changed because Jayvon Monroe from Blow on the Dance Floor like reached out to me on Facebook. And he had seen my picture, that headshot, and the publicity around it, um, and uh, with the TV show that didn't end up working out. And he, I guess, was just attracted to me, but also the music that I always was sharing and stuff. And so he... uh, he contacted me and for like two weeks, uh, he was crazy looking like a vampire. And so I was like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> so I didn't even respond back to him on Facebook. I was kind of afraid of him because he was like a male Angelina Jolie in Girl Interrupted, like that kind of psychotic but beautiful looking mm-hmm. person. And blood on the dance floor, you know, they had crazy hair and zombie contacts. And I mean, he looked like the undead and covered in tattoos. So for two weeks, I didn't even message back. And then finally, i you know, I was like, oh, he is cute. And so I messaged him back and we started talking. And it was about a week into us talking because everything on his personal Facebook was kind of cryptic about, you know, the fact that they were becoming pretty successful in the underground music scene and stuff. And he was always really worried about people liking him for him or if it's just somebody wanting to tag along for the for the fame element or whatever they were yeah. experiencing. So we got to know each other really organically and started dating. And it was kind of an understanding of, I like that you do music too, but I'm not going to help you. And this isn't me wanting to help you or you, you don't date me if you think you're going to get something out of this, basically. And so there was a big separation between, you know, business and pleasure there. Um, and we were on and off for like a year and a half. And I guess at that time, that was like when I was still working on the music with the guy that was for the relationship had severed because it wasn't until Jay and I had pretty much called it quits that I really I started. The songs started coming out with the indie deal. I knew I wasn't working with them anymore, but the songs were finally in the can and I was releasing, they were releasing them and uh, they liked blow on the dance floor, heard them and then heard more than just little demos I was making on, um, you know, garage band. And I would send Jay my demos and like an idiot because he ripped off a couple of them. And I knew my music could be successful because, and he told me too, he was like, I had this song called Zombie Apocalypse and it was like a kind of a stupid song when I think about it, but it was poppy and catchy. And I sent it to him and he loved it. And then he wrote a song called Redeemer that was a hit for them. And he even told me in an email like, I love your song. I'll have to admit it inspired this song. And it sounds a little different. It's not a direct, you know, but I knew I was inspiring Uh what they were creating. So I knew I still had something there that could be successful. And then when I released my more professional sounding songs with Wire and Wood, that's when they came back to me and were like, Hey, are you with these people anymore? And I was, No, you know, that I've been released from the contract. I'm a free agent. And they said, Well, we have this new album that we're working on. And since you and Jay have stayed friends and stuff, we want to bring you in as a songwriter and and see about having you do a vocal feature because we really... They told me, you know, you're kind of like, you'd add like a Backstreet Boy element <laughs> to what they do because they were like kind of shock rock, kind of a fusion of rap, sc- screaming, techno, EDM music. Like, it was very experimental MySpace music is... That's how they got big was off MySpace. Oh, okay. And so, they wanted somebody to sing. They had used other vocalists to sing hooks and stuff before. Um, but that's what they were interested in me when they heard my independent songs bringing me in. And, and is, that, is that sing. what...
0: Did Hollywood tragedy come yeah. out of
2: that? Yeah, that was the very first thing that I did with them. I came in and co-wrote three songs on that first album. And I was so excited because in high school, I was a huge like Good Charlotte fan, and Joel Madden ended up being on the album with us. Oh, cool. Um, And uh, so, I was kind of blown away that I was getting this opportunity, and it's all from a picture, from a failed experience with modeling and acting, (laughs) and some demos that came out with a label that dropped me. Those two things coming together gave way to me being on an album with somebody I idolized and Deuce from Hollywood Undead was on it and the album ended up going to number one on the electronic charts and it charted charted out at 42 on the top 200.
0: Oh, Oh, wow. Let's, Let's listen to Hollywood Tragedy.
4: This fucking world won't be missed No, don't forget Just regret The person that
3: I can't take it no more I've tried again and again To convince you in life There is so much more Don't forget Just regret The
4: first time
2: See, it was kind of a fusion of yeah. rock and EDM and pop. And um, that song was just me and Jay, my ex. Davi, the main guy that started the band, he wasn't on that track. And um, I ended up co-writing two other songs on the album, but that was the one vocal feature that I had. And after the success of the album, they at that time got like a six-page spread in AP Magazine. And um they reviewed the album because it went to number one on the electronic charts. And for like three weeks, we were beating LMFAO and Skrillex. So, I mean, it was like <laughs> unreal at the time going from like being dropped and then all of a sudden within six months, like this is where I'm, you know, where I'm at. And um, the, uh, when AP Magazine reviewed it, they chose Hollywood Tragedy as the editor's pick off the album. Nice, And so that solidified uh, with Davi. Because he was the decision maker for the for the entire show. He uh that kind of solidified in his head that I was bankable and that, because he wasn't even on that song. And that was kind of the standout over Joel Madden and Deuce from Hollywood Undead. Like that's what AP Magazine said was the most marketable track that had the most potential. Um, as maybe crossing over too to just pop radio. And so that's when I think they got it in their head, like, let's hang on to this guy. Let's keep him around. Um, what, and what's the
0: time frame on this? What, what year are we talking about?
2: That was released in
0: 2012.
2: Okay. Yeah. And um, I think the next thing I did with them was 2013. I ended up being on four studio projects with them. Um, the next album, I had a couple of features on. Um, I co-wrote and sang on. And Jeffrey Star, I don't know if you've heard of him, mm-hmm. but he's like a huge cosmetics mogul and stuff now. Um,
1: back on Twitter,
2: yeah, he—that's uh, <laughs> back when he did music, and he's on that album with us. And um, there was, you know, we had some really cool opportunities in music, and I starred in a music video for them, and um, I was a nationally touring background singer, and I would so I would sing all the harmonies and for live. Um, I do all the feature parts like Jeffrey's features or, um, any of the girls who sang on stuff that couldn't be there. Like they had a big song called Bewitched and I sang, uh, the girl's part cause she wasn't on tour. So I would do all the feature vocalists parts, sing all the harmonies. And then I would do my vocal features too mm. on tour. So that's what I did. And I ended up living with them for a little while too out in San Diego. And, um, but altogether, it was from beginning to end, probably about a three and a half four year experience being around them was this u
0: s touring or international or
2: u s yeah, okay. yeah, they had done a international tour before, but I wasn't a part of that um, and I did a lot of stuff that you know I was cutting my teeth, paying my dues. And I was always like had the promise of we're going to produce you next, you know, Mm -hmm. do this for us. We really love what you're doing. Do this for us or that for us. And, you know, we will, um, we're going to produce you because you have, you know, what it takes to. And and so I went along with everything because, first of all, I'm getting the opportunity to be a part of something incredible. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. Not many people can say they've been on a number one album on any of the charts, you know. And, very few, yeah, very and, few
0: people. You've done, so you've done a lot of things. A lot of people haven't no done. <laughs> so, okay.
2: And I mean, it's still to this day when I think about it, like not too long ago, it was the ten. This summer was the ten year anniversary of all the Billboard success and. I was at the house and I like Googled it and it was almost like, I don't even believe it happened. And I was like, is it still there? Can you still see the proof? And to see it again, you know, it's like, man, you know, that's just, it's almost like it happened to somebody else. Like it was such a whirlwind, but I truly believe it was the fact that my entire life I pursued it with such a fervent belief that something would happen and that I didn't know how I didn't know when, but I knew that, something was going to happen. I was going to be able to work within the recording industry. And from what my mom had instilled in me to just keep your nose down, just keep working, keep, you know, going at it and be, you know, believe in yourself because you can make things happen. So, you know, that experience, it ran its course though. It was a really interesting experience in my life. Um, But I ended up, you know, severing ties with them under duress, you know, I, I ended up being ripped off. Um, I was owed a lot of money. I had my song stolen. I had my voice stolen basically and put on an album, not given credit for it. And all they did was slap a heavy electronic filter over it and made me sound like a robot on several of the songs and, um, just passed it off as their, their content. And because I lived with them and, they were like brothers to me in a sense. Um, I trusted them and I I got a crash course in how cutthroat the industry can be. Um, wow, yeah. that sucks. Yeah, I, it's weird too because the whole way along the process with them, I saw a lot of questionable behavior and a lot of business practices that I wasn't involved in. I wasn't, Davi ran this entire show. Jay, my ex, was 10 years younger than him. And he was, I couldn't understand why he never got any of his own money. It always, he had to ask for like an allowance from Davi for any money, anything. And Davi was like dad of the house. And he always had young girlfriends that were freshly 18 and he's a year older than me. And at this time he was... You know, his late 20s and he was always dating these very young kind of stupid girls Mm -hmm. who were very like seen emo. They thought they were bad bitches covered in tattoos. But at the end of the day, when you wiped all the makeup off of them, they were children. They were little girls, basically. And I saw him get into so many disputes with business people, whether it be a musician that had toured and didn't get paid or this, or you know, certain scenarios like that, a photographer falling out with them that had worked with them for years. And me and Jay would never really know the extent of what the agreement was or what the arrangement was, because we were never privy to any of the information. But it was, it's strange, years later, looking back on the experience, it's like I was in a cult. Um, I started watching a lot of things about like kind of cultish societies and like, Playboy, like how Hugh Hefner groomed people, these young people who needed validation or needed a place to live or needed someone to believe in them. Or, you know, and if you do this, you'll get something great out of it. There will be something that you really care about on the other side of it. And maybe you were insecure and you didn't have the best, maybe home life or this or that. Don't worry, I love you. Mm-hmm. And this character that was so always spoke of like light and love and positive energy and just was so all about that but then i would also see at times a very negative reaction to certain things that really would take me aback and i saw some hazing type stuff but we were in the rock and world or rock and roll world and shock rock where it was supposed to be edgy and Mm -hmm. a little dark and Mm -hmm. sexy. And so some of the things I'm like, well, that's part of their character, the way they're talking to people, the way they, you know, because they've got an edge to them. And they always exalted me because I had been a boyfriend before I was a part of any of the, you know, the music. And so Jay was somebody who, if you looked at him the wrong way, would assault you verbally in a way which made people older than him. Grown men that, you know, he was 20, 21 years old. He can make a 35-year-old feel like so small and insignificant. And no one dared say anything to me because I had dated him. And he was real protective of me. And I felt kind of special in a way. And so I really got out of a lot of the craziness that other people experience being around the band But there was definitely a lot of stuff I saw that I didn't agree with, but I also didn't feel comfortable speaking up because this is not my tour. This is not my house. This is not my album. And I'm entangled with these people in contracts and stuff. And I'm going to, that's not my fight. Mm. You know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And so there were some, certainly some things that I would hear about that I would be like, wow, you know, I don't know how I feel about that, but I also don't know all the details. And I always felt like, they'll never do that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they they love me. We're like brothers. We're family. You know, it's not like that between us. And so when things went sideways, I had just recorded and wrote like eight out of 12 songs for Davi's independent album, Master of Death. And he had been pressuring me to write, 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 write. I need these songs. I need these songs. We have a recording date coming up. And um, I turned out all these songs so fast. And Jay was starting to check out. He didn't want to be a part of this more independent album for Davi. And so I ended up mirroring Jay's vocals because I had taught Jay a lot of vocal technique. He credits me in liner notes for teaching him how to be more of a singer and stuff because he had just been more of a rapper and a screamer. And he had tried to emulate my vocals a lot. Like on Hollywood Tragedy. That's yeah, why you I all sounded very similar.
0: Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I'm
2: like vocal coaching him in the booth of how to approach, how to sing these parts and stuff. So he stylistically started to sound kind of like me. So when he checked out, I was going in and doing his vocal cuts and trying to sound like him, trying to sound like me. Mm. <laughs> and so. I did all this work for him and Davi, I'll never forget, like came up to me. I was like, brother, thank you so much. You know, I really want to reward you with a trip home and, uh, you know, I'm buying your tickets and everything. And when you get back, you know, we'll settle up with pay and everything. And, um, I'm just so proud of the work you've done and everything. And I fly home and I'm there for two weeks and I'm on a high cause we're going to go on another tour and, you know, We've just got this new album in the in the can, and I'm a huge part of it. And I come back, and all my stuff is in trash bags. And I'm um, just very unceremoniously turned out in San Diego, and I had no money. They didn't pay me, and I had no way to go home. And I couldn't ask my parents, because I'm a grown adult at this point. And also the pride of just going home and bragging about everything I was a part of, and then coming back and just being made a fool and having nothing. And I was... Basically homeless in San Diego with like, I think a $1,000 to my name. And thank God I had a friend who I had met through them who happened to be in town at that time. And he uh, linked up with me and he introduced me to a friend that lived there. And I got to stay there for a little bit. Found out that was an escort. Had no idea I was living with an escort until I was living with an escort. And I was like, I can't live here. I have to go. So, (laughs) I had landed a job, though, in those few weeks, and thank God, at my job, I went to work so upset one day, and a guy that worked there, he was moving in with his fiance, but he had an apartment that the lease was going to be up in six months, couldn't afford both places, and he was like, move into my place. You have a job, I know, we work together, so move into my place and help me out. So, I stayed for another six months and was able to not have to come home immediately, but... It was a nightmare because when I spoke out against them on social media, because I I couldn't take legal action, I didn't have any money to even hire a lawyer. And I'd seen how they tied things up with so many other people that it really wasn't worth it. And this is what they would do. They had a a legion of fans they called the Slash Gash Terror Crew, the S.G.C.G. And it was just a bunch of like angsty, emo, middle school and high school kids. But These kids were like social media warriors. Mm -hmm. And they will destroy you. And this is before you get canceled if you say hateful, crazy stuff online. (laughs) So they really would come for you. And... The moment that I tried to speak out, I got silenced. I mean, in the most vindictive, crazy, stalkerish ways, people creating uh, accounts with my picture and saying wild, crazy stuff. And like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It cost me a job, like a lot of different things that were just very underhanded and crazy to where I felt like I had no voice, I had no money, and I just needed to. Let them win. And I did. I just walked away from it. And I was very angry for years, actually, over it and didn't speak to them and um, just kind of like,
0: a, that's a very volatile three or four no years, kid. five
2: years. Yeah. I mean, it was always yeah. one thing after another. I would always go into a scenario with, like, the best of intention and all these, like, dreams and hope. But I was so naive. I was really trusting. And it was always, like, I was getting involved with people who wanted to get their hooks in my talent and take it for what it could do for them, but it had nothing to do with me. And I'm just that kind of personality after a while being a Scorpio. It's like, I'll do for you as much as I can. But once I realize that like, you're, you're double crossing me, like hell hath no fury and I will walk away from that. And so um, I finally just gave up on that. And I really got discouraged about working within the entertainment industry. I moved home. And then that I was home for like a year and then things took another turn. I started making demos again, putting stuff out there. And um, randomly, my best friend from college became a TV star on a reality show on Bravo and her whole life changed. And um, she and I had actually talked about moving to Los Angeles together years before because she had been a model and She wanted to, we wanted to move out there and see if we could make our dreams happen. And this was after I dated Jay, but I wasn't doing music with him. It was in one of the breakup periods. We had talked about all this and she actually backed out with moving to Los Angeles with me. And then years later, she ends up becoming a TV star randomly. And she's like, bub, you've got to move out here. And so I out there they throw me my 30th birthday party at sir and the cast of Vanderpump Rules is like in my life now and my friends and they're throwing me my 30th birthday party at the restaurant the show this hit shows at and I'm like how does this keep happening to me how do I keep winding up like I dated somebody who becomes like famous in a way in their own little world and now my best friend has become this reality tv star and I'm getting to see behind this curtain and I'm sleeping on her and Jax's couch and I'm like going to parties with them and seeing they behind the curtain of that entire world. (laughs) And um, they, when I was out there for my 30th birthday party, they were like, Brittany was always really proud of me for my singing. She was, we're not friends anymore because that whole scenario changes people. Reality TV is toxic because you have to continue to exploit the worst parts of your personality to stay on TV. Because be interesting. you yeah. have to be dramatic. You have to... Yeah. Even if you're playing the good person, they still get you in the mud. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of unavoidable. And she was with the villain of the show. You know, she, that's who she ended up with. And so it was kind of unavoidable to get entangled in that. And it's so sad because she's such a good person. She was just... Like a sister to me and such a wonderful, kind person. And she was always very proud of the music stuff I had done, and she was really supportive. So anytime we had a party, like I said, I was a party boy in college, and we'd have these huge parties, she would always be like, Sing Bub, get your guitar. And so when I was out there for my birthday, Mike Shea, who was a rapper, he was um, he dated one of the main cast members and or was married to one of the main cast members. And he's this white guy who rapped and He was using that vehicle as, you know, a um, catalyst for a rap career. And so they were starting to kind of film his rap endeavors and stuff. And Britney was like, Bub sings and, you know, I want you to hear what he does. So I had my acoustic guitar and I started singing and playing at a house party at Jackson Britney's apartment. And um, it just was magic between me and him. Just immediately, I would sing something And then he would freestyle a rap over, you know, a verse, and it was just so good. And so when I came back to Kentucky, he started sending me tracks, and I started um, recording, writing, and recording to those. Um, And I was doing it at a studio here, and uh, sending them back. They loved everything, and I ended up within six months moving out there, and. I recorded with him. I don't know whatever came of those demos. I don't know if he even continued to pursue music because him and Sheena ended up divorcing. And um, like I said, I I had a falling out with, it was primarily with Jax. (laughs) And then because that's who Brittany dated, I ended up having a falling out with her. And I ended up moving back here. But um, I filmed a couple of times for the show And I'm showing like once and, you know, little clips on the show. You can see me and around them and doing stuff or at at an event with them. But, um, and then one of the main things I filmed with them uh, ended up, they cut that. It was Mike Shea's birthday party. And they brought me in because I was working with music and it was a pool party. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to be on a, a big episode here. And they're talking about Mike Shea and his birthday and his music. And I'm a part of that. But then they ended up cutting all that from the show. So,
0: so after all these ups and downs <laughs> and everything you've had go on, you know, since uh since you started in the music industry, where do you find yourself right now at this moment back in uh you know, back home? What are you where are you and and what are your plans from here?
2: Well, for years I stopped completely doing music and um I did like a little show called shine i was on season two it's um a streaming show it's a short the biggest short form competition series on youtube and i finished top five but that really was that's a a
0: music competition right yeah Yeah. and
2: it was silly and um i just kind of got discouraged after that too and and didn't do music for for a couple years and i i really uh was depressed. And without music in my life, I got depressed. I drank too much, partied too much, made mistakes. I was carrying around a lot of anger too, because I had had such a pure intention behind music. And I felt very taken advantage of and betrayed a lot. And I felt like I was now back home. Nothing was ever going to be a possibility for me again. And so I I was really depressed for a long time. And um got into trouble just I, I was up to no good you know i was self-destructing in a way and it was like last spring i just had like a wake up moment one of my friends um locally she passed away she was a recording artist and she was really on her way from here i mean she was going to do something incredible in the industry was getting a lot of attention and she was one of the people who really acknowledged everything I had accomplished in my past and and thought it was cool, you know, and really made me seem um, relevant and was proud of me. And I really valued that friendship because a lot of people, you accomplish something, but five, 10 years down the road, people forget. They don't care, you know, if you're not doing it now and you're just back here, what does it matter? You know, you're a washed up has-been. But she never made me feel that way about myself. And then... um I was starting to try to get back into music, and then she just dies tragically, and it really woke me up. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing any kind of drug. I stopped. I cut out all the bullshit in my life, and I started doing the work again. I started rehearsing every day, and simultaneously, somebody who had been asking me to play at their venue for three years, and I kept saying, no, no, I don't do that anymore, said, you're doing it this year, and I'm not giving you an option and uh so pick a date cuz you're doing it and it was for Boomba's in the highlands and um i was like oh god you know i don't know that's a pizza place i don't i don't know if you know i'm just going to be singing for anybody that comes in they don't know they're going who that there's going to be live music like people are going to hate me you know i had all these negative thoughts but um i was like okay i guess i'll i'll give this a shot i mean it's somebody wants to pay me to do music again and perform and i really miss it
0: are you planning to go solo now?
2: Keep oh, yeah. it solo? Yeah, because for years, even when I came back, people who would get kept, see me do an open mic or catch wind of what I had accomplished or who I'd worked with, would, I came across charlatan after charlatan who could not do this for themselves. They would not go out and do it for themselves. They latched onto me and kind of used me for a little bit and then would betray me in some way and go off on their own. And I... uh so I've, I've I've realized I like working with other people. I like singing and doing the harmony because that's the basis of since I was a child, you know, being a part of a group or working with other people vocally. But ultimately, I can only rely and trust on my trust in myself and know that I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to be at the rehearsal. I will we'll come to the show. Yep. And so I am uh, completely solo and. I took the opportunity performing once a week there to, uh, I I guess I impressed them and they, I do it year round now. I perform every Friday night and I bring in my big PA. I bring in a stage and lighting and um, I try to, I do stuff from all kinds of genres, different eras because I don't know who's going to be in the audience. It is a mixed crowd. It's a restaurant of people who don't know they're going to see live music And so I will do a country song, then I'll do a pop song, then I'll do an original, then I'll do a 19, a song from the 1950s, then I'll do, you know, it's all over the place because you kind of have to in that capacity. That's a huge challenge and it's scary sometimes, but it's been the most rewarding, amazing thing because as I'm recutting my teeth, doing this completely sober, um, I'm also learning how to entertain different kinds of people. It's like Russian roulette performance and you either have it or you don't. You're either going to be a good entertainer and actually, um, honor what you do by showing up and turning on a character and showing enthusiasm and being polished and, and trying to cater to whoever's there or you're not, you know, and it's been an amazing experience, but, um, using that platform, I've been able to start an open stage and, other artists that was a big thing with my meditation and positive affirmations was being grateful for where i'm at my life now and trying to help other people
0: awesome so our uh listeners that want to
2: follow your rebranding here where can they find you now um i'm on, on friday night in highlands right yep every friday night i usually get started around 10 and i play for about two two and a half hours straight um how about social media on social media, I'm Collins Black on Facebook, and then on Instagram, I'm Collins underscore um, or Collins Black underscore music. And um, I changed my name, my stage name, a couple of years ago when I, because of the falling out with Blow on the dance floor, I didn't want my name tied to any of their their music, really. And Davi, the main guy in the band, had had some very bad allegations come out against him, and I didn't want if I go forward in music, I don't want my name tethered to any of his dirty business. I mean, he'd done it to me. And the thing is, I never, I I don't know what he's done or what he hasn't done. But when I hear accounts of things, I have to kind of believe that these people are being honest about it because the same grooming, the same verbiage was used on me to rip me off for music and money. So um, after that, that's why I changed to Collins black and rebranded and, this is just a new era and a new time for me without any ties to any of that.
0: Well, cool. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with yeah, us. Thank
2: you. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, we're going
0: to go out with I Got Weak. Awesome. Tell us quickly about that one. And-
2: yeah, this is um, actually one that I produced as well. Um, I did it all myself. I had a hard time trying to get somebody to take me seriously and produce me locally. I mean, I was, could not get anybody to produce me, so I just did this myself on GarageBand. Not this time singing into a laptop, I'm singing into a (laughs) mic, but um, this is just I wanted to show the integrity of what I do. I'm this is all me, so
0: all right, let's check it out. I got (laughs) weak.
3: in my hair you're laying me down touching me there so unaware you're what I need right now look in my eyes you see right into my soul diving so deep in your satin sheets I'm losing all control the boy made me a liar now I'm You're hot to the touch, but you're my desire The boy made me alive Show me now what's been missing. Oh I god, we so weak. Now all I can say is you're saving me. My body was aching when you started chasing. Now I'm remembering The value I have That he couldn't see Caught in the throes His passion unfolds Now I'm starting to believe The boy made me a liar Now I'm playing with fire You're hot to the touch But you're my desire
0: The boy made me
3: Higher, ooh, I got me. Give me all you got, fulfill my name Give me all your got, I got me. Restore me now, what's been missing. God, we so. what's been made